We'll go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. This is our text for today, this story that you just saw on screen about the inauguration of a new king. And let me invite Jamie Posey to come on up. This is a dear, dear friend of ours for me and Sheree and our family and her husband, Chris, over here to my left. They've been members at Taylor's for quite a while, and she's going to read our scripture for today. So grateful for Jamie, who uh, has served with DSS Serving Families. And I really believe this, Jamie. The Lord has put you there as a light to serve in a dark, dark place. And you've done it well. In fact, she just whispered to me, she's retiring after 30 years, June the 1st. Can you believe that? And God has put her there to minister to families. And while I'm on that, let me say this. Let me celebrate with you, church. A few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, we had a foster care awareness day here at Taylor's. And we highlighted the work of ministering to families with foster care children. And we had two subsequent meetings after that, the long story Made short of that is there are two families who, because of that, stepped forward and said, we're ready to step into foster care. Three more families said, we're almost there. So there's the potential of five children, if not more, who, because of our time together in offering that, will now, will now, Lord willing, Lord willing, find a Christian home. Isn't that wonderful? So grateful for that. So we celebrate that. And we want to cultivate more of that, and Jamie is just a big part of that every single day. So I'm grateful for you, for Chris, their son Will graduates from Eastside, can you believe that, in just a few weeks, and Wyatt is in middle school. Will you please stand this morning for the reading of the Word of God, 1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning in verse 6. Elabad and thought, surely the Lord's anointed before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, The Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all of your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And then he said, And then he sent and brought him in. And now he had a ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise and anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of the oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you. You may be seated. May the Lord bless the reading and teaching of his word. So here um, is a picture, a wonderful picture of um, a selection process where where Samuel comes and chooses David. It kind of reminds me, if you will, of the amusement park where you have these rides and there has to be a certain measuring stick for you to get on that ride. Say, for instance, Disney World. That's our favorite amusement park, right? And there are rides at Disney World like um, it's a small, small world. You don't have to have uh, a certain height to get on that, correct? Because it's a small world after all. That's why they let you on there. But say Space Mountain. 
That's a big ride. And so when you step up there, the, 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 the kind-hearted and loving person waiting for you there as you get onto the ride looks at the measuring stick that is there and says, nope, you're too short. I'm so sorry, sweetheart. It's like Samuel here, alive. Nope, I'm sorry, you're not it. Next one, nope, I'm sorry, you're not it either. And finally, he gets to the point where he says, yes, you're the one. So at the amusement part, there's this measuring stick, and you have to be a certain height, and how you gauge that is judged on the outside by how tall you are. But also at the amusement parts, maybe nearby where the measuring stick is another sign that says what? If you have back problems, or if your blood pressure is too high, or if you have what? A heart condition, we recommend that you don't ride this ride. And so the kind and sweet, loving Attendant there can look on the outside and see whether or not you measure up, but he can't look on the condition of your heart. And this is where God comes in at a pivotal point in the life of the nation of Israel. To this point, we've seen how God has led them to the promised land. Then last week, we caught a glimpse of the wild, wild west of the period of the judges where in pockets of the promised land, the people were in skirmishes and fights with the other people groups in the land, and God would send a judge to rescue them, then they would rebel again, then God would send judgment, and God would send another rescuer, and on and on it went for 300 years. And finally, the the people said, God, we, we really, really want what the other nations have. We want a king. God said, you have a king. It's me. No, 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 God, you, you don't understand. We, we want a, a king like other nations, but we want a king to, to judge over us and to help us fight our, our, our battles. You have a king. You have a righteous judge over you. You have all power to help you in the military battles that you face. No, 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 God, really, really, we, we want a king. And finally, God said, okay give you a king. And so he sends Samuel, the prophet, to anoint a king. And it's not this one that we just read about. It's another one called Saul. And in our readings this week, we, we read how Saul was anointed as king, and he was, uh, he was given all authority over the people. And then something happened. Despite his appearance, despite his All of the wonderful things he might have done, God rejected his kingship, and God said to Saul when he rejected him, you're done, your kingdom is over, 1 Samuel chapter 13, I am going to go find a man who instead is a man after my own heart. So he does that. He goes and he sends Samuel to find David. David, a man after God's own heart. This is what the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he's preaching in a synagogue there in Antioch. He says David was a man after God's own heart. And God selects him in a process that is absolutely extraordinary. What does God see when he comes 
to, and when he sends Samuel to these seven sons, well, back up to verse 1. Look, uh, look, look up at chapter 16, verse 1, at what the Lord says to Samuel here. You got your place there in your text? Look at it. Here's what it says. How long, Samuel, will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Now fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. So God is very clear. God, God is in control of the process here. He's clear about what he wants. He's rejected Saul, and he's found his guy. So he sends him to Jesse there in Bethlehem. And what does God see? Well, he doesn't see what Samuel sees. He doesn't see what other people see when it comes to a king. You see, in um, 1 Samuel chapter 9, when we're given this description of Saul, it says this, when it comes to his outward appearance, that he was tall. He was much taller than anybody else, and he was handsome. It says it two times. He was, hands- he was more handsome than anybody else. The scripture wants to make clear he would have made the 50 most beautiful list there in, in Canaan that day. Right? So he is, he is beautiful. He is handsome. He is tall. He is wealthy. He is the epitome of what it means to find a leader. That's our guy. And the Lord selects him. And the people follow him. But then he disobeys God. God sends Samuel to Jesse. And what does he see? Well, here comes Eliab, the firstborn, coming in. And he says, you know what? Um, that's him. Oh, man, that's him. Look at him. When he, just, when he walks in, he walks in that door right there, he just fills the room. His height, the way he looks, surely that is the Lord's anointed. God says, no. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Jesse, do you have another son? I think we have a little bit of glitch here because he looks really, really good. He sends out another son. God says, no, that's, that's not him either. And the process goes on till we finally get through all of the sons. And Samuel says, just wait a second. Um, Is there anybody else? Because God is telling me none of these sons are it, despite their appearance, despite how how they look on the outside. None of these guys are it. Jesse, is there anybody else? Oh, yeah. There is a a young guy out here, and um, he's our youngest son. Some translations, the Hebrew translation says the smallest. He's out keeping sheep. We've given him that wonderful, wonderful job of keeping the sheep. Go get him. Here comes David bounding in, and that's when God says, that's the guy. That's when God comments. I, I don't look on the outward appearance, but I look on his heart. You see, here's a principle that we see before we even dive into the whole heart section. God, God God doesn't do things in order to fill up our expectations. God doesn't do things that sometimes fit the occasion. God is a, as we've seen throughout our reading, God is a revolutionary God. I mean, he takes women who are barren, who can't have children, and he gives them children who become the the sons and daughters of a mighty nation. 
He takes the secondborn and those that are born not in the first place where the culture says, hey, these are the ones who are elevated. Our God says, no, I'm going to take the secondborn and the ones who are, are coming up from the rear. He takes the ones who don't look like you're supposed to look or act like you're supposed to act or even who have sorry backgrounds. And he says, that's the one. And by my power and by my grace, I'm going to make them something special. Our God's a revolutionary God. He doesn't cater to our expectations. He doesn't cater to what the occasion is. He indeed is far above our thoughts and our ways, and he proves it yet again here. But here, I want to shift for just a second here. So what does this mean? God chooses and selects differently those for a certain occasion. So what does it mean to have a heart that pursues after God. Well, I think what we have to do is this. In order to understand David's heart in the weeks ahead as we begin to look at David, we're going to be able to pinpoint some things. In fact, you might be reading along this week and in the weeks to come, and you might say that is a characteristic of a man after God's own heart. You might remember that. But today, today, I just want to take a look back because our text doesn't provide us much by way of who David was. But here is what it does do. It tells us why Saul was rejected. Chosen by God, yes, but then rejected. Why? Because he wasn't after his own heart. So what does that look like? All right, so turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 13. We're going to go to two quick stories here, then one final application point, and then we're going to be done for this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 13. So here is Saul, and here's the situation that Saul is in. The primary enemy of Saul is the Philistines. And the Philistines have outnumbered the children of Israel. They have outmatched them. They have chariots and horses and soldiers. They have cornered them to the point, as Saul is leading the army, to the point where the people, the children of Israel, are literally climbing in the caves and in holes, and they are running. Literally, Saul sees them running, fleeing, and Saul is beginning to panic, just like you and I would. He is outmatched, he is outgunned, and the pressure inside of him is beginning to build as he sees all of this. There is this sense of urgency. There is this sense of, i got to do something. What do I do? So Samuel says, Saul, wait seven days. Wait seven days, and then I'm going to come, and we're going to offer sacrifices, and you're going to hear from God. I'm going to help you hear from God, and we're going to know what to do. Says, okay. The seven days goes by, no Samuel. Now you can imagine, pressure's building. There's a sense of urgency. There's a sense of people are fleeing, they're scattering, they're, they're, they're hiding. The kingdom is done. The kingdom is gone. What do I do? Samuel, you're not here. So here's what he does. Instead of waiting for Samuel, he offers sacrifices to God. And he disobeys. And the sacrifices go up, but God isn't pleased. So when Samuel comes to him, Samuel realizes what he's done. He's done a couple of things. Number one, 
He's done something that only the law says a priest can do, offer those sacrifices. Number two, he has rebelled against God in his impatience. How so? Look at verse 13. You have your place? I'm sorry, verse 11 of chapter 13. Follow along with me. You're going to have to read with me today a little bit, all right? Here's what it says. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself or I compelled myself. I, it was almost like I, I had to do this. And I offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you've done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom forever. Saul, but read verse 14. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. What is it like to, have, to be a man or a woman after God's own heart? Number one, it's real simple, obedience. But under number one, letter A, from our story this morning is this, patient trust. Patient trust. When God looks at our heart, he wants to see a patient trust in him. I like what one writer said, one of the commentaries I picked up this past week. I love what he said. It's this pattern that happens in our life. Here's a cycle that happens. See if you are there, because I, I have been there. I am there on many occasions. You come to God and, and you say, I need help, and, and God doesn't respond. And you're sitting there waiting, and the urgency is beginning to build inside of you. And you're waiting, and you're waiting, and nothing is happening. And there's this sense of panic that begins to well up inside of you. But then, outside circumstances begin to press in on you. Just like the Philistines. And you look around, and you begin to say, there's not only urgency from within, but the outside circumstances are really pressing in. And I don't see any way out. Then you become doubtful. Then you begin to have this insecurity and you begin to have this self-doubt. And then you begin to say, you know what? I'm going to make a move here and, and I'm going to invoke the presence of God, but I'm going to do it in a way in which I'm in control. Now, you might not say it that way, but here's what God is saying to Samuel and then to Saul. Saul, here's the chain of command. Me, the prophet that speaks the word of God through me and to you. And you have taken matters into your own hands, even though you cloak it in coming to me. You have been rebellious, Saul. I used to look at Saul and I used to say, what a, what a rotten scoundrel. How could he rebel against God this way? He used to get all high and mighty on Saul. You know what? You and I are there. There's a sense in where God longs for us to patiently trust him. But then, 
We don't wait. We have to move. And then we put a, the, cloak of, the cloak of religion around it and say, well, I'm invoking the presence of God. And God says, no, 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 no. It's, it's simply, simple. you're not waiting. To, you're not waiting for me to move. You're simply acting on your own. And God says, Saul, you're done. Can you believe that? God takes this seriously. Saul, you're done. Second, here's what happens. Go over to 1 Samuel chapter 15. Not only patient trust, but then secondly, total surrender. Total surrender. What is it like to be a man or a woman after God's own heart? It is plain and simple obedience. But under that, letter A, patient trust. Letter B, total surrender. Total surrender. So here's the story in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Let me set it up for you. God says, hey, Saul, there's this people group that when the nation of Israel was going into Egypt, they um, terrorized uh, my people. And I've never forgotten that, so I want you now to go back, the Amalekites, and I want you to wipe them out completely. I want you to take out the king. I want you to take out all that they own, every possession, every person. I, I want you to exact justice for the evil that was done against me. All right, got it, God. So he goes out, and, and, he, and he gets victory over the Amalekites. And sure enough, he wipes them out, but here's the thing. Here's what he does. He saves the king, and he saves the best oxen, the cows, and the best sheep for the people. He's disobedient. Great victory. Did what God told him to do. But then he begins to... He begins to, to move out in a way that is not completely in submission to what God has said. Now, pick up the, what, pick up the action here to what Samuel says in verse 13 of 1 Samuel 15. Read what he says here. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. I love this. <laughs> Samuel, I have done everything that I'm supposed to do. Really? Really? And maybe Saul thought in his heart, let's give him a break, maybe Saul thought in his heart, hey, 75% obedience, 90% obedience, 75% of my heart, 90% of my heart, that's good enough for God, right? That's good enough. Blessed be the Lord because of what I've been able to do. And Samuel said, what then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the cow that I hear? Okay, now, if, if you were 100% obedient, Saul, why is it that I hear some noises back here? I hear the sheep, and I hear the, the cows. Saul said, listen to what he says, they, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep, and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. In other words, the rest of them, we, we, we make sacrifices. Hey, we did it for God, all right? And uh, the rest of it, we did it as an act of holiness to God. So, so we're worshiping God with this. Really? Samuel said to Saul, stop. 
Stop it. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, speak. Keep reading verse 17. And Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction, but it is the people who took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God, Samuel and Gilgal. We did it for the Lord. Samuel said, powerful line here, powerful verse here. Has the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings? And sacrifices as he does in simply obeying his voice? Behold, to obey is better than what? Than sacrifice. And to listen than the fat of all the rams that you line up for worship. Here's what he's saying. That total surrender is vitally important. But also, this warning that not being totally surrendered to God, which is in itself bad enough, but yet cloaking it in sacrifice, and cloaking it in religion, and cloaking it in worship, God says, stop it. God looks at the heart and he wants to see if there's 100% surrender. If there's a sense of when God says to us, will you do this? It is not, yes, God, I will do this. Yes, God, I will do this as much as I can, but I will continue to do this thing and pretend that I am worshiping you. And here is the hard, hard word, but a good word of warning to all of us this morning. For pastors, pastor, I was thinking this week, my whole life, it's cloaked in worship and religion and services and duty that, that speaks to the church. That's my whole life. But if my heart is disconnected to the heart of God, to his love and to his mercy and to his grace and to his forgiveness and to his mission and heart and love for other people, if my heart is disconnected, all the things that I do religiously in the name of the church and worship, God says, I totally disregard it if you're disconnected from me. Think of, um, think of our worship here, gang. Four weeks we've been involved in a, a new worship style. And I love Love how Kevin and Scott have worked so hard to lead us through this. And, but, but here's a word from the Lord this morning 
Listen. Listen. Back in Gilgal, sacrificing sheep and oxen, God said, if your heart is not surrendered and submissive and open and trusting me, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disregard your, worship, your, your sacrifices. And the temple, the beautiful, glorious, magnificent temple of Solomon, nobody had ever seen anything more beautiful and grand and glorious than that, but God says the same thing. Jesus came and said the same thing. If your heart is disconnected from the patient trust and total surrender of a person to Christ and to God, your worship, I'm just going to disregard it. To the house churches of the first century, those followers of Jesus looking to worship him, and they're cowering in storefronts and in their homes, and they're trying to sing, and they're trying to worship. They're taking the Lord's Supper. Same message to them. If your heart is disconnected to Christ, but yet you claim to be connected to him, I'm going to disregard your worship. In the greatest cathedrals and churches of all of the of the centuries, all of the worship that goes on, the message is still the same. If you think that the external form of your worship will justify you and please God, he is going to say, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Our different styles of worship, whether we're traditional or modern or contemporary, or we're hillbilly banjo barbershop quartet. It doesn't matter. God says this. I want a people who trust and are patient and who are passionate about the name of God and the gospel of God. I'm going to start there. I'm going to start there. It's a hard word for all of us. An incredible warning from God who in Isaiah chapter 1 says this. That you come and your heart is disconnected from me. Your, your, your offerings are just vain. They're just vain. They're an abomination. I detest them. I don't want that for you and me. I want our worship to be unified, healthy, and strong, and pointed towards Christ, and pointing others towards Christ. I don't want that for us. Then here's the final thing. Here's the final thing. Do you notice in all of that what happens? Saul, in all of this, he is constantly doing this. He is constantly... Um, he, he, he's kind of dodging and weaving and, and look, bless his heart, I've been there. I've been there when, when you know you've done wrong and, and, and here's, here's Saul's first instinct. Well, I, I went to the presence of God. Saul, you, you weren't patient. You weren't trusting. Saul in this last occasion said, did you notice what he said? The, the people, they grabbed the sheep. They grabbed the oxen. 
those people. He begins to deflect. It's as old as the Garden of Eden. When we disobey God, when we disobey, we, we suddenly want to either deflect it or, or we want to justify ourselves or we want to blame other people or, or we want to just flat out lie. We, we just want to deceive or we want to do this. We want to minimize. We want to minimize the consequences, as one writer said. I love that. We want to minimize them. It's, it's almost as like we as followers of Jesus, and I do this too, we, we live as if we give the Heisman to God all the time, right? You know what the Heisman, you know, you know what it means to give someone the Heisman? You know what that means? It's the Heisman trophy. Do we have a picture of that, guys? Show me the Heisman trophy up there. Do we have that? All right. Here's what we do to God all the time. We're, we're doing this. We're just running. Hey, God, hey, 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 I want to speak to your heart. No, 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 no. That, that was them. That, if only they. All right, we keep running down the field. Here, hey, hey, God says, I want to speak to your heart. Nope, 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 nope. You, you know what? If you were only in my shoes, God, if you realized what I was up against, the circumstances I was up against, it'd be, and then you start running down the field again. God comes and says, hey, I want to deal with your heart. And you're like, no, 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 no. Have you seen all the good things I've done? And here is what a man after God's own heart is. A woman after God's own heart is obedient, but secondly, is repentant. It's repentant. Who says with genuine remorse and sorrow and hurt, as David did when he committed adultery as king, he used his military power to kill a man, and the prophet comes to him and says, you've sinned, David. And David didn't say anything else. But in Psalm 51, he said, against you, God, against you only, have I sinned, created me, what? A brand new, what? Heart. See, here's the key. Here's the key. Obedience. Patient trust, total surrender. But we're going to fall. And what God is looking for is a heart. And it's not perfect. David's not perfect. But a heart that says, yes. Yes. And begins to take steps to be reconciled to God and to other people. I love that phrase, create in me a clean heart, oh God. That word create, the same word in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God, what? Created the heavens and the earth. In other words, David is saying, I'm a man after your own heart, God, but now my heart has been totally weighed down and darkened and blackened by my own sin. Would you speak? And just as you spoke, and as we saw in that beautiful video, the worlds were brought into existence out of nothing with that power and with that strength. Would you speak? And would you take a heart that is afraid? And would you take a heart that lacks the patience and the courage and the trust? Would you take a heart that rebels and shakes my fist at you? Would you take a heart like that and transform it. God says he will. And the only way he can is what? 
through the new king, through Jesus. The, the one who was born in Bethlehem, the one who calls himself what? The good shepherd, the one who David's throne is pointing towards, the one that all the prophets, when they talk about the anointed one, is no longer talking about David, but talking about Jesus, and through his blood. We just sung about it. Through his sacrifice, his blood can cleanse and forgive and rain down mercy upon any heart if you only yield it to him. So my prayer this morning is this, is for you to ask yourself this question. Where is my heart? Where is it? What, what is its condition? Because I, I, can't, I can't tell by what you're wearing, I, or you could even tell me about your life, but I, I don't really know. But God looks inside, and he sees a condition, and either it's an obedient heart or a repentant heart. And either way, it's a heart that God says in the obedience, yes, yes, thank you, yes, continue to move forward. But in the repentance, you know what God says? Yes, yes, I receive you, yes, through Christ, yes, move forward. And either way, Jesus and God gets all the glory. Gets all the glory for our hearts. Amen. Will you pray with me now? Lord, I pray that you have seen my love for your word and you and your people. And I ask that your word moves and works as only the Holy Spirit can do it. Father, in the, in the quietness of this, of our time here before we sing and before we move into our life groups, I simply ask that you take our hearts and I pray that people right now are giving their heart to you. Maybe it's a, a fearful heart. Maybe it's a, a hateful heart. Maybe it's one that is tired and exhausted. Can't trust. You can't surrender because it's so worn out. Maybe it's a heart that's confused. But it's a heart that says, God, I want to follow after you, so I give it to you. And through Christ, would you transform followers of Jesus today? And Father, through Christ, would you begin to call those who do not know Jesus right now, those who are seated right here, would you begin to speak to them and tell them that the love of God is so great that he sent the new king, 
Jesus to die for them and that through forgiveness and mercy they can find new life. Would you speak to them and a heart that is completely broken and shattered by sin can be put together again. So Lord, hear our prayer this morning. By your Spirit, continue to shape us to be more like Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen.